welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday draft lottery edition of the show. And I wish that I could start off the show by telling everyone that the Anaheim Ducks made it into the lottery and are picking in the top three, picking first overall. Not the case. Not the case. But I think a lot of Ducks fans who have maybe gotten soured on the lottery process over the last few years will be happy to know that the Ducks didn't drop back. That's maybe the biggest one of them all at this point. Yeah, because now I'm thinking back. Uh, 2019 was the first year the Ducks were really in the lottery. And what was it? Chicago jumped them. That was the year Chicago jumped to third overall and took Kirby Doc, right? I, um, I don't know. Do you really not remember that at all? No, wow. Not, uh, not off the top of my head, no. And then 2020 didn't... Uh, who ended up winning the 2020 draft? That was Kings and... So no one jumped the Ducks, I think, in that one. I think it was the Kings and the no, the no, Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, Rangers, did, the Rangers yeah. But the Rangers were ahead of the Ducks in this, or lower than the Ducks, better draft odds, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, or no, that year. Now I need to look this up. Now I should have done this. <laughs> you're, as you're trying to pull up these details that aren't super important. The point I'm is, to, the point yes. is the Ducks didn't drop back. That's what matters. They're picking tenth overall. It's a draft class that's intriguing. There's not the the kind of generational talent Correct. up top. But I think that at 10th overall, the, the takeaway is that they are going to be able to add another, should they make the pick, they're going to add another really good prospect to a, a pool that's one of the best in the NHL. That yeah, is the one, takeaway, not who jumped who in 2019 and what have you. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> wow. I, I just feel the daggers. Shaming feel- you. Feel the daggers coming my way. Um, no, you're, you're spot on, though, with that. The, that Kind of looking at this draft, starting to do my research, starting to look into it, it feels like, and I've mentioned this a couple times, it feels like there's a one and then maybe a couple people that might be considered in that two range and then just kind of this squishy three to ten range where the yeah. four to ten range where some people may have a guy tenth on their board. Some people may have that same guy fourth. And it really, I've mentioned this before, but it really reminds me of the 2019 draft where Trevor Zegras was, by some people, projected to go third. He was the third most skilled player uh, on the board by some people, and he fell to the Ducks all the way at nine. Mm-hmm. And so this feels like that where it's really going to fall in the scouting departments of all these teams once they kind of get past Cooley and Wright to be able to kind of sift through the players and figure out where they're going to go. Obviously, there's going to be certain players that certain people like more than others. Slavkovsky is a guy that's really risen to the top of some draft boards. But the thing that we don't know is kind of how do these teams rate him? How do the teams rate uh, Joachim Kemmel? And what he did early on in the season versus how he fell off. How do people rate Brad Lambert with uh, the stardom that he had two years ago and to his horrible season this year? And so I think it's going to be a really fascinating draft to watch. And I think that, at the end of the day, is what I'm excited for. And while the Ducks may not be in this prime position where they're fifth, sixth, kind of where they've been the last couple of years, this is a draft where being 10th isn't the end of the world because – you're forcing, I mean, it's funny, This the same type of thing has kind of happened with the Zegers draft, for instance. Mm-hmm. You, The other teams uh, essentially make your decision for you, and that's not necessarily a bad thing with how NHL teams are run. As no. we've seen with that that draft, Philip Broberg was taking one pick before uh, Trevor Zegers was. Yeah. You think yeah, that's, that, that's a do great you think point. Ed, do you think Edmonton would love to have a uh, redo and have Trevor Zegers on their team right now instead of Philip Broberg, who I believe is not playing for them right now? So you're you're forcing other teams to make the pick, and they will make mistakes. And so you wish that you didn't have to rely on those other teams making mistakes, but they're going to make them. The, yeah. This is the NHL. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think the Ducks are going to make this pick? Yeah. Yeah, I think they are. Really? I think though I think it's more likely that they make this one than the later Brown pick. I could see them trading that one. You think that they do, that you think that's some out of the question that they trade it for a, let's say a Jacob Chikrin. Uh, or, in, I think, or, in, or in a Jacob Chikrin deal. Correct. Or something I don't think that they would trade. I mean, they could trade 10th overall for Chikrin. That that could be in the on the books. I don't think that you can really rule out anything, I guess, the more that I think about it. So I'll backtrack a little bit on that initial statement. I think it's more likely than not that they're going to make the pick, but mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think that it's a definite possibility where Pat Verbeek is trying to upgrade this team. His his priority to me is finding guys within the Trevor Zegers age window, 
And so if that requires him to flip this 10th overall pick, I think he will be willing to do that. Right. Yeah, I think that that takeaway is the correct one, which is that it's hard to really know. And Pat Verbeek has been kind of vocal in that he will be that that's really the the entire takeaway of this end of season is that the Ducks are going to try to improve their roster in the offseason. Now, let me ask you this. If it were up to you, do you make the pick? I think it's an, a draft day decision. Wow. So 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 you're you're giving me a no comment there. Mainly because you like, like, this, like I, I guess what would it take? What would it take? Who's the player that entices you enough to to trade this pick? I think Jacob Trickin is maybe in that mix, although I've fallen off of him a little bit lately, but I think maybe someone in that profile. I think it just has to be someone that is within the age range of twenty to twenty two years old. Right. I think that's the key aspect there is the age and obviously the, the profile of the player. And I don't think I really have a good idea of the player off the top of my head right now. But I think if it comes up, it, I wouldn't be opposed to trading it in the correct deal. I think Kevin Fiala, as Sith Lord Buscemi uh, brings up in our Twitch chat. I mean, I guess that you would have to part with it. No, you wouldn't be parting with you, you this. You trade it to for the rights I guess like how would Maybe. that work? Yeah, yeah, or or because this year's draft wouldn't be part of the RFA or offer sheet. Yeah. that you would give. Um but I, the reason why I'm kind of saying it would be a draft day decision is that like I said with this draft, there's going to be teams that make mistakes. And so yes. the guy that you could have as third overall could be available to you at 10th. Yep. And so I think what you have to do is you have to end up uh figuring out your own draft board putting that together, running through the entire process, which the ducks are going to do. No doubt. They're going to do that regardless of if they trade the pick or if they don't, or if they keep the pick. Mm -hmm. And I think that the most uh, prudent way to kind of approach this is kind of maybe start negotiating, figuring out deals. And if something pops up, but you also kind of want to wait to see how the draft plays out to see if that guy ends up falling that you like so much. And you end up with a Trevor's eager situation again for this team. Yeah. I, philosophically speaking, would lean towards making the pick because I think that this is... The Ducks are right at that cutoff point where this class is still going to give you an impact level player as mm-hmm. opposed to maybe just like a really good depth player. And I think that it, the Ducks can have it both ways where they can improve their roster for you know the, for the upcoming season and, and next two seasons. And by the same token picking 10th overall, they can get a guy who maybe will be on the team next year or the year after, but that once this team is fully formed, can kind of come in and give you that next wave of a really good player who's on an ELC. So I would lean towards making the pick. I agree with you, though, that it is kind of a draft day decision because if there's a really good deal out there, if it lands you a really upper upper echelon player that that kind of vaults you into that next next level of, of teams in the NHL... It's hard to say no to that, but my my I guess bias would be towards making the pick. Yeah, and and I think that's a good point. And I think what we've seen lately, just in general with the league, I think a general trend overall is, and while Pat Verbeek has said he wants to let his guys marinate, all that different type of stuff, you can only say that for so long when the league is becoming younger and younger, right? At a mm-hmm. certain point, you have to adapt to that as guys are pushing their way in. Guys are more, and I think a large reason for that is guys are more NHL ready at a younger age due to the fact that they have skills coach at such a young age. And so that's really kind of in some ways, I think, what's pushing it. And so we're seeing more and more of these early first round picks are NHL ready within a year or two. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes even right away, look at Anton Lindell, who's drafted last year. Right. Or sorry, no, Anton Lindell was 2020. Yeah, yeah 2020. He was the yeah. Drysdale draft. I, yeah. He was. <laughs> Are we sure about that? Now I'm second guessing myself on this. Regardless, we're seeing guys jump into yeah, the league right away. Okay. Overall. Cole Sillinger is the guy that jumped into the league right away. That was a, a yes. like middle round pick or middle of the first round pick. And so that that's kind of where I was going with it is that you're seeing guys a year, even right away being NHL ready. And so I think that that's kind of goes to your point, right? Of getting a guy that's going to be on his ELC, be ready to make that jump, be ready to be in the, uh, on this team. Um, I, I think that's definitely a factor here. Yeah, exactly. I know that, you know, there is kind of this, this rush a little bit to get the ducks into the playoffs next season. And because people are tired of, of watching this team fail to do so and kind of sputter out at the end. 
but I really think that there's they're not yet at this point where shipping off you know top ten picks to improve your current team is super advisable unless unless it you're getting back someone who really does tightly and neatly fit that age range that we've been talking about with Seagrass, Drysdale, Terry, kind of early to mid twenties. But how many of those guys are truly available? Right, like that's that's I think where to me you just make the pick. But I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'll put it like this: the Ducks have had. Let me think about this off the top of my head. This will be their sixth in the last like ten to twenty years that I can really think of off the top of my head. Uh, top ten overall pick. Mm-hmm. It was because they had Richie Lindholm. Then you have Zegris, Drysdale, McTavish, and now this one. Yeah, and. Prior to that, I can't really think of the last time they would have had something that high. And so I think that just really puts into perspective kind of how once you get competitive, these this high of a pick doesn't come around that often. Right. And so this pick can really uh, help you push into that next range. Right, exactly. And, and I think that if you look, because you brought up what the how the good teams in the NHL are structured, I think that the, what you've seen with teams like, let's say, Tampa, is that they always seem to have that next guy right? That next wave of talent. Of course, they don't obtain them with top 10 picks, but they always seem to have reinforcements. Even Toronto, they've, and the kind of depth that they've amassed. I just have that series on my mind because of uh, the crazy game that was today. Yeah. But, but that's what you see around the, the, for the good teams around the league is they, they manage that depth really well. And I I don't know. I mean, I I would be really surprised if the ducks traded this pick. I would be surprised at that. Agreed. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that again, it's it's not the sexy kind of uh, armchair GM answer because I think a lot of people again are in this rush to see the teams that the, the team really make a step forward right away. But just make the pick, get the player, and the Ducks have a bunch of additional draft picks from the trade deadline. Again, this is why you do things like these uh, to to go and make those trades, and they have an excess of prospects. Right, so there's still plenty. They still have plenty of ammunition to go out and make aggressive deals this summer. They just don't have to sacrifice a premium pick in the process. Yeah, and I mean, sorry, I'm just kind of now thinking about who the Ducks could potentially take. Yeah, who, well, well that, I'm God. sure I'm sure we're gonna get asked about we're, that. We're so. gonna have plenty of time. Yeah, and an interesting name to me, and this is just purely looking at size and thinking yeah. about how yeah. NHL teams. Uh, you or look at that in terms of prospects. Matthew Savoy, mm-hmm. he is five ten, and he is one of the most skilled players in this draft. I could very easily see teams being uh, wary of his size, and that could be a guy that could fall all the way to the Ducks. And I mean, here's a question for you on this that's popping in my head: Do you care at all about position at this point in time for the Ducks? Yes. That's a great question, and I think it's something that I haven't given a ton of thought to. I still, th- I mean, right now the Ducks are in a position where they've traded two cornerstone defensemen and Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm. So now you could argue that the blue line is an area of need. Correct. But but I still think this team just needs as much offensive talent as possible. They don't really have that much depth right now on the current roster offensively. You saw it this year. Right, if it wasn't the Zegers line or, or Terry line getting it done, that was kind of it on on a lot of nights. And so I would still be in favor of trying to bring in more game breaking offensive talent. But again, my philosophy as always is best player available. Yeah, and, and so I I think the the players that I think will probably be available because I think the defensemen are probably going to be taking both Nemec and Yerchek. I think both those guys after, are going to be after the top five. Yeah, and I think Slavkovsky at this point... Slavkovsky's an he, he interesting one. He seems to one. be a lock for the top three now. He, he does, but we'll see kind of how that plays out. I think that he probably will be. I think the top three will probably be Lambert, Slavkovsky... Or not Lambert. Uh, Wright, Slavkovsky, Cooley, and then probably the two defensemen. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of anyone's game from there in terms of everyone after that. I, but think, everyone I, think, after- we can, I think we can agree that Columbus will not pick who we expect them to pick. That's 100%. <laughs> and, and so, but after that, it's a lot of forwards. 
And so I think that the Ducks are going to have essentially guys that fall to them because for various reasons, whether it is they were a highly touted prospect that fell off a little bit, whether it is a guy that had a great start to the season fell off. And so that first one was Brad Lambert. This one's Joachim Kimmel Uh, and then Matthew Savoy is a guy that may fall because of his size. And we've seen how Cole Caulfield's done uh in montreal as a result of uh him yeah. even though he's although not not the same caliber of production though no 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 no, no, no. yeah but still like it, it's a guy that's falling because he's he's smaller like that's the knock on uh, on savoy from what i'm seeing yeah i think the other thing with savoy that people seem to not like about him is just the fact like his his hockey sense just his ability to actually use his skills on the ice but he's extremely productive and he's a guy who can help you so that's that is the kind of profile that the Ducks, they, they need more of. I mean, the thing with the Ducks, and I, I think I said this during the Drysdale draft, is that getting a defenseman to me isn't ideal. It's not what I would do, and I don't think that's what they're going to end up doing, just the way the board is structured. But they're a team that's missed the playoffs for four consecutive years now for a reason, because they're not very good. And so bringing in more good players, yeah. regardless of position, that's what matters the most. God. Like they, they can't make a bad pick. I feel like this draft, sorry, as I'm looking at Corey Promman's <laughs> mock draft versus yeah. elite prospects. Well, well, that's the thing I, with, Oh, I, sorry, go ahead. I feel like this draft overall is going to be fascinating to watch just because the mock drafts are wild, but like this feels like the most different, like that, that I've seen in a long, long time because like EP ringside, for instance, has Frank Nazar as the fourth be- overall player on their board. And granted this was from March, but when they was, have Oh, they have him at fourth. Wow. They have Frank Nazar at fourth. And while, I think Pronman's at Pron- thirteenth something. has him at fourteenth. Fourteenth, yeah. <laughs> well, but it doesn't the, the here's the thing though. I mean, we've been doing this this song and dance now for a few years. How, how many drafts have we done? Twenty nineteen was the first one? Uh twenty eighteen would have been the first one. Twenty eighteen was the first year of the uh, Oh, show. that was the Lundestrom draft. That was the Lundestrom oh, draft. Oh man. I remember wow. that one when we were all like, What? We had to crank out an article about that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah anyway. That was the, the, the <laughs> that was the Lundestrom Tracy draft, right? Or was Tracy the year after? Tracy no, Tra- Tracy was nineteen. Tracy was nineteen. Uh yeah, Tracy was nineteen. Tracy was the same draft as uh as Zegris. Yeah. Oh wow. Sith Lobo Shami saying that Craig Button has Brad Lambert at thirty five. <laughs> so we've been doing this song and dance now, and I have to I think what if if I can take anything away from the research we've done each and every year, it's that when you're looking at guys like Corey Pronman or Craig Button, more so Corey Pronman though, to me you're getting the feel of like what it seems like the the the, the weather is for the industry what teams are probably going to do. Now, of course, the one he posted today is beat writers, so not completely trustworthy. True. That's a good but, point. But the point is, like, he's I'm sure he's kind of feeding these beat writers information. Um, and so anyway, oh. just, just moving forward, if you're someone listening to this and you're looking at Pronman mock drafts or ranking, to me, that's more telling you what teams around the league are thinking. And then when you're looking at sites like EP Ringside or other outlets – to me, that's more of a true kind of independent talent evaluation. Uh, yeah, I'm looking right now at Bob McKenzie's also. Like, this is wild. Bob McKenzie well, like, has Savoy at four. Slavkovsky yeah. at five. Uh, Miroshnichenko uh, at six. Eurotech check at seven. Yurov at eight. Nemec at nine. Geeky at 10. Lambert at 11. Nazar all the way down at 14. And then I was looking at, uh, at uh, Craig Buttons. Craig Budden, for instance, had Savoy all the way at 17. Yeah. And, and McKenzie has him at, what did I say, five, four? Yeah. Something around. Like, this yeah. is just all good to over. Know, good to know this is an exact science where, uh, you know, we can all agree on he had, talent. Craig Budden has Frank Nazar at 24. Wow. Okay. Versus EP Ringside at five. This is, this draft, I feel like, is just wild. I'm going to say this, uh, and I have... I'm actually uh, now I'm really excited for this draft just to be able to look at these after the fact and see who was right and who was wrong. Well, so I, I, I do want to give a lot of credit and I respect the experience that some of yes. those veteran guys have. But I to me, when I go and read sources like EP ringside, for those that don't elite prospects, it's their it's their editorial site. I kind of trust that a little bit more just because I think that they are more in tune with where the game is headed and more of the skill-based 
component where they're really evaluating the actual talent in front of them and there's less concern about the old school stuff. Well, right? also what, what I like, and you and I both always look at their their uh, what is it their draft um, their draft guide that they put out each year. Yeah. It's really in depth, very detailed, that, yeah, very detailed, very in depth. And the thing that I like so much about it is it's not just one person. And I think that's the, mo- the, it's, the it's most. It's an army of people. Part. Yeah. It, it versus a lot of these draft rankings, like prominent. It's specifically him, and same thing with Bob McKenzie and uh, and Craig Button. They're talking. Don't worry. They're they're talking, or don't think that it's just them. But they are, or it is just them. But they are talking to other people. They're talking to scouts, talking to yeah. other people within the industry. But the EP Ringside one is a team of people that have seen all these games, put together their own scouting reports, and then talking to each other, coming to a consensus together to put together this draft ranking. And that's, to me, is why I really put value into that because it's a lot of these guys that have put a lot of time and effort, people that are more analytic savvy than others that have tracked data and use all that to figure out their ranking. Yeah, I just, I just, I guess philosophically, they just line up more with how I see the game. And I just trust, I trust that they, I trust their rankings because they show their work. They, they talk specifically about why a player is a good skater, right? Because you often hear what makes, like, you know, you often hear, oh, he's a great skater, he's fast, but we don't really know what that means mechanically. And they really get into those details. So they're not a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> I should, like, we're pumping their tires here. We should so reach out, we'll reach out to them. But really, a great resource. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. But what 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 is interesting though is our good old buddy Byron Bader, who we bring up a lot this time of year. When you get into his model, looking at NHLE, which for those of you who don't know, NHL equivalency. So basically, projecting what is the probability of a player becoming an NHL star. So basically, a top six or a top line producing talent, and or an NHLer. So playing X amount of games and. How does that project based on the number of points that they have gotten at in a specific league and at a specific age? And what's interesting is that in this draft, the top, I'll just go through the top five star probabilities. So number one is Danila Yurov, who we haven't even discussed yet. No. Who we have no idea what the status of, what his status is going to be in the draft due to the ongoing Russia situation with the IHF and everything there. We don't know, but he's towards the MHL the Russian Junior League, but has basically been a bench warmer in the KHL, so hasn't produced there. But even yet, but even still, because of that production, he's he's the highest rated in that category for this draft class. After him, you have a 10% drop-off to Shane Wright at number two, Simon Nemich at number three, 57%, Logan Cooley at 56 and then Lane Hudson at 55%. So completely all over the place. But I do kind of like looking at that because it just cuts through everything all of the observations and it's just looking at just raw numbers and regressing those based on past history. So it's interesting. Yeah. 100%. And there, I mean, there's a there's reason why we've had Byron on this podcast in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, it's, I think it's fun to be able to look at prospects. I wish that there were more data points. I wish it wasn't just production and age and league, but it is interesting to look at players and just have a completely unbiased view right because it's just their numbers there's nothing else you know what's going to be fun with this draft now that i think about it also mm-hmm. there's a high chance that a guy that we want the ducks to take at 10 or that we think they should take at 10 is going to be available for their second first round pick if they take it yeah yeah that's a good point because like, i mean i mean remember remember the was it 20 20 draft jacob perot yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah yeah same same thing yeah exactly you thought he was going to go top 10 no, did I think that? I, well, I, I didn't think he'd go 27. I'll yeah. say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be really fascinating. I'm, I'm excited for this draft. I'm excited to kind of gear up for it now that uh, the season is 100% over for the Ducks. Yep. And there's very little else to talk about. Yep. All right. You want to have a brief word from our sponsor? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right. So this episode is brought to you by... Green Chef. So Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. They make eating well eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meal, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preference. And so all their stuff is premium and organic. So with fresh produce and premium proteins and organic ingredients, you can trust Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. With Green Chef, you get organic ingredients and sustainably sourced produce so you can feel 
great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. It's also so convenient and easy. They make cooking easy so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. Green Chef's pre-made and pre-measured sauces, dressings, and spices get you more chef-curated flavor in less time. You can avoid long lines at the grocery store. Green Chef is so convenient with pre-portioned, easy-to-follow recipes that are delivered right to your door. It's so sustainable. Green Chef is the most—they're the most sustainable meal kit and off offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And they also offer 24 always changing recipes to choose from every week, so you never get bored. And like I said previously, they—they they have meal. Uh, Meal kits for every lifestyle you have, whether you're keto plus paleo, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, and or gluten-free. They've got something for you, whether you're looking for carb-conscious, gluten-free, plant-based, or calorie-conscious options, or you just want to have delicious, balanced meals. They have flavorful, feel-good recipes that are sure to satisfy. So, Felix, what's on the, the menu this week for, baked, for Green Chef? Baked penne with sausage. Baked so, penne with sausage. That actually, that sounds delicious. Everyone... I really want you to find someone on this earth who doesn't like baked penne with sausage because it's pretty freaking delicious. It's mozzarella, parmesan, mushrooms, peas, and roasted red peppers. It's a comforting Italian-style pasta bake. It's ready in just 25 minutes. So whether you're busy or you really want to plan it out and have a nice meal, it's going to work for you either way. It's super simple ingredients. It's delicious. I've enjoyed it. Everyone loves pasta, and you should definitely check that out. And it'll fit. It'll fit your diet. You can make it work however you want. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, some other things that are on the menu. They've got a blister tomato and feta cavatappi. Uh, they've got some enchilada spiced turkey bowls, mm. pesto shrimp and couscous bowls. And this one is the one that really flagged my eyes. The surf and turf with sun-dried yeah. tomatoes. Yeah, that looks good. <laughs> that looks absolutely delicious. So, um, yeah, Green Chef. Their meals are absolutely amazing. So you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP130 and use code CTP130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com slash CTP130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Yep, go check them out. So anything else on the draft? Or I should say the draft lottery today. Uh, do you want to take your victory lap? I mean, you know, it's it's bittersweet, right? Because it took it took one of the most depressing seasons of Montreal Canadiens history to to see the Canadians ultimately get to this point where they get the first overall pick. But I got to say this is the most confident I have felt as a Canadiens fan just in terms of the long-term trajectory that I ever have as a fan of this team. So my entire life. Um bet new GM, great management team, great coach some good young players, and now the first overall pick. I don't know if they'll pick Shane Wright. Kent Hughes wouldn't commit to that publicly, which is interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Didn't close the door on trading the pick either. So it's going to be fascinating. I would be. I'm. I, I kind of want to. I wish there was a way to bet uh, who's going to go first overall. Because I'm. There's got to be. I'm curious what the line is. For, you know uh, there. You know what, there is a way. What the odds are for not Shane Wright, like Shane yeah. Wright versus the field. Uh, Lewis asked if you get if you got your flowers yet. No, unfortunate. No one gives me flowers around here. I mean, I feel like me saying, do you want to talk about this is me giving you your flowers. Okay. If you want to take a victory lap. Well, I am happy. I'm very yeah. happy. Well, we're happy for you. I would have been much happier if it was the Ducks first and then Montreal second, I guess. I would not have been happy with that. Although, I know. I think if the Ducks went first, they 1,000% pick Shane Wright. Probably. No, absolutely. Probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I mean, there's that, there's no way we could know. Can you imagine, though, a, a one, two, three punch of Shane Wright, Trevor Zegras, and Mason McTavish down the middle? I mean, I'm picturing uh, Matthew Savoy, Trevor Zegras, and Mason McTavish down the middle. I mean, the, I'm, I am I know that maybe people aren't that excited about Shane Wright, but the Shane oh, Wright to it Matthew been good. Savoy... Uh, there's a bit of a drop off there. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, I mean, I think we're just going to get in some questions. This is going to be a very question heavy oh, episode. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. I did want to say, um, some ducks players going to the world championship. Oh yeah. I, I saw like that today and kind of missed a lot feel of it. Like, but yeah. uh, feel like we should give them their flowers. Oh, actually Go there's two, it. there's two things forgot. Uh, ducks have a new assistant GM. 
Correct. Did we Rob not talk DeMaio. about that yet? No, we no. didn't. That, that no, we broke didn't. after. And I think yeah, that and w- Todd Marchand. Yeah, and so, yeah. Did we not talk about this last week? No, it, can't, it broke after the episode. That's right. Uh, yeah, May 3rd. When was May 3rd? It was last Tuesday. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have not talked about it. So, let's, let's talk about that because that is interesting to me. The Ducks name a new assistant GM, Rob DeMaio. He comes in. He was the director of pro scouting and a director of pro personnel for the St. Louis Blues. Um, and I think that what's interesting is that, that you know, for the Ducks, we've, we've heard so much over the years about how well they've drafted, how well they've been able to pluck talent from the later rounds. We haven't heard as much about player development, though. And what came along with this news was the fact that Todd Marchant was out much less, you know, much less fanfare about that one. But Marchand's tenure in player development comes to an end. And now, I mean, this is kind of, to me, maybe the first big, okay, this is a Pat Verbeek guy that's coming in in a pretty major role because he's going to be handling right. The, the player development aspect, and he's going to be the GM of the San Diego goals. So he's going to have his fingerprints all over uh, the, the player development side for the ducks. And I think if you look at what the blues have done over the last few years, I mean, first off, they've won a Stanley cup. They've done it with a lot of homegrown talent, or they've been able to use that talent to go and get better players. I feel like this is a good hire, or at least it's, 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 it's a hire that's pointing in the right direction. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think that's the key aspect there. You look at the, uh, the development of the players in the St. Louis blues organization. You look at the Jordan Kyrie's of the world. The uh, Rob Thomas, Robert yeah. Thomases of the world. You look at these guys that weren't necessarily. I mean, I think I'm not quite sure what pick Jordan Kyrie was, but I'll look it up very quickly. But these guys weren't like highly, highly touted prospects. Uh, yeah, Jordan Kyrie was taken 35th over. Kyrie was taken 35th overall, and so it's not as if he was this high end pick. He was a second round pick, and he's become an absolute fantastic player for them. Uh, Robert Thomas was taken 20th overall. And these guys have become legit NHLers. And like I said, with, uh, um, with Cairo, he's a legit NHL star at this point. Like he's really scoring at a high, high level, high rate. And so that's what you want. In some ways it's a mixture of things, right? There's only so much scouting can do. And from the amateur side with drafting, but there's also the development side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think you've been the one to point this out a lot is that, the development side of things is really lacking and has yeah. been for the Ducks for the last little bit. So people on Twitter, I feel like people on Twitter is like the third member of this show because it gets brought up every single episode. But when I, when I, so when this news broke and I tweeted about the fact that I didn't think that the Ducks have done a good job developing and that getting rid of Todd Marchant was a good thing, a lot of people didn't like that. And, you know, the, I, got, I got accused of, having a fantasies that every first round pick, every draft pick is going to become a star. No, that's not, I, I do have fantasies, but that's not one of them. Um, and so what I would say though, is that it's not about that. It's not about turning every single player into a star. It doesn't have to become a Jordan Kyrie, but what I look for when guys are drafted and once they get in, get onto, into the pro side, whether it's in the AHL or eventually the NHL is, is their game expanding? Is their game improving? Are the things that they're good at already refining? And are the things that they're bad at kind of coming up to speed? And to be honest with you, how many Ducks of these younger Ducks players can you really say that that's happened with? I I mean, to me, I look at, for example, a guy like Max Contois. The way that Max Contois plays today, to me, is almost exactly the same way he he played as when he first came in. Right, he's this guy who doesn't really skate that well. Doesn't he? Kind of has this weird way of holding his stick. Right, there's just not a lot of like fine skill to his game, and that just there has been zero development in that respect. I mean, I'm sure he's gotten a little better. Right, he's he's grown as an NHL player, but it almost just feels like a result of natural aging curves, where he's just getting better as he's figuring the league out. Then, I mean, you look at different guys. Like, I mean, for example, Sam Steele. Right, he's another one of these guys in this group where, yeah. I'm not expecting these players to become stars, but I need to see some kind of growth in their game. And Sam Steele, for a lot of his tenure with the Ducks, has almost felt like he's gone the other way, where he's gone backwards and he's gotten worse over time. Um, you know, and, and for him, this was maybe the first year where I could see a little bit of growth, but he's 24 now, right? It's, it's, it's a little, it's like, okay, you would expect that by now. And then you look, you go down the list. 
I mean, you look like you look at a guy like Josh Mahura, to me, hasn't really grown at all. You look at a guy like Isaac Lundestrom, I mean, he's kind of the same player for the most part that he was when he came in, right? The whole thing that they talk about with him every time publicly is, oh, well, when he came in, he, he skated backwards a lot, he curled back a lot, and now he doesn't anymore. Okay, well, that's pretty much it. That's the only difference. Well, and, so, and we, and we and talked so, about... And, and so that that's what I'm talking about. It's not about them becoming stars. It's just, is their game expanding? And I just, I haven't seen that. And we've talked about this a lot with uh, Isaac Lundestrom, where his game, the way he plays, the way he enters the zone, the way he circles, all that stuff, it's meant for the big ice it's not meant for nhl size ice and mm-hmm. the fact that they were able to i mean i feel like dallas Aiken said this he's like that player isaac more than any other player they've seen uh when he came in was not meant for north american ice mm-hmm. and the fact that he's kind of acknowledged that he said he's come a long way and while sure he's not circling back or, or things like that but his game is still like the the european style it's still meant for the bigger ice and so they recognize that issue and they still haven't done enough to help him improve past it. And I think that that really keys in on the player development side of things. Mm -hmm. And I I just think that I also, I also think on this side with Todd Marchant, just simply kind of finishing this point off before moving back to Rob DeMeo. But um, I think this just kind of gets rid of Bob Murray's hires. Ah, you, you went there. I did. I thought about going there, but I didn't know if that was kosher for the show. Okay. But I think I think in some ways that is a part of this. It's turning over a new leaf, and we've now seen that with uh, with Pat Verbeek, Dave Nonis gone. Dave mm-hmm. Nonis was for sure a Bob Murray guy. Yeah, and, and he was he was a lieutenant. Todd Marchant, Todd, Mar- Todd Marchant was acquired by the regime a- that started with Brian Burke that Bob Murray was a part of. He was a Murray guy. Yeah, yeah. And so retired and then eventually became a scout for, or became, I forgot what he started as, but eventually became the position that he's at now. Mm-hmm. Well, and was, so wasn't true. Fair. Yeah. Good. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a part of this. And I think that we can't necessarily ignore that because in some ways this is Pat Verbeek taking out the guys that he doesn't necessarily see as his guys and bringing in guys that more suit what he likes. And so yeah. it's both a look at what the development path has been and also kind of bringing in his own guys and clearing out the old regime. And while maybe you would look at Martin Madden, but I think that that just goes to show that the respect, Martin Ma- yeah, yeah, the respect kind of what, uh, that Verbeek being a scout and that kind of being the, the path that he really went down, how much he respects what Martin Madden has done and the type of work that he's done. And so yeah. I, I just think it's not a coincidence that we're seeing these guys leave and Pat Verbeek bringing in his own guys. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good call. And I, I do think that, it's 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 fun to just see a new GM really starting to put a stamp on the organization because a lot of people maybe don't appreciate the fact that it's you know it's it's much more than just the GM pulling the strings you know for an organization and the way that they make their decisions it's it's everything it's scouting it's development it's the the analytics side and so to see to see Pat Verbeek kind of build that in in the way he wants to it's just going to be interesting to see how it, how it plays out for this team. Definitely. And one other thing on that is that do you know who the GM of the the goals was going into this year? Oh gosh, I feel like I know the answer to this, but it's escaping me. Tell me. With Rob DeMeo coming in and taking over that role, the prior GM of the goals was Bob Murray. <laughs> well, yeah. Why was that the case? No clue. Oh, Kings just made it two one. No clue. Uh, I'm watching the game. Yeah. But yeah, so it it's one of those things where this gets a guy there, and also of note, Paver Beek before joining the Ducks was the GM of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Griffins, so he and that was kind of what he was promoted to over summer. So he has experience of having being the GM of the AHL team, and I think it, it, it's a big position for Rob DeMeo. It's important for him to be in that role, especially with his past uh, past position of development. So exciting oh, to see that happen, Jake. You'll you'll love this. So the Kings just made it two one. Uh, this is, I don't know, a game five. And it was Duncan Keith, a failed clearing attempt where he somehow trips on himself and just turns it blatantly over to the Kings. They come back in on a two-on-one, and he just doesn't see Adrian Kempe on the weak side, and they score on the, on a one-timer. So Duncan Keith is terrible. He is bad. Oh, my God. Whew. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's cool to see this progress. It's cool to see things changing. Doesn't mean it's going to work out. Doesn't mean it's going to be great, but at the same time, 
uh, I, like I said, like I spelled out, I'm not really a big fan of how the Ducks were doing on the player development side. And now player development is much is a much bigger job than just one guy. And Correct. that's And that's something that maybe we give Todd Marchant a little slack for is that their player development staff was pretty limited. I mean, it was Francois Beauchemin and I believe... Lucas Sabiza came in this year. Larry Barron as their skills guy. Like, it was a pretty pretty tight run ship. They're not a whole lot of guys there. And you look at, I mean, you look at teams like the Leafs and the Habs just pouring money into those divisions, those departments, whatever you want to call them. The ducks don't quite have the financial might there, but I think that they, they need to look at expanding that out even further now. So, yep. Yep. But it's a good first step. And then on the note of guys going to the world championship. So Max Coltois going to play for team Canada at the world championship. Any thoughts on that? Uh, good for him. He's had a really rough season, shortened in some ways by injury, shortened in some ways by uh, Dallas Akins, and I think this could be really good for him. Yeah. Well, so here's the funny thing, though. This was something I was thinking about today. Uh, you know, because last year the whole there was a lot made about the fact that Adam Henrique went to play for Team Canada last summer and, and played really oh, well. I forgot about that, and that that kind of turned him around after a tough year. It's a lot like the Troy Terry narrative in a way, where it's like, was he actually having a tough year or was the team that was in charge of him just not correctly utilizing yeah. him and putting him on waivers for no reason? Uh, because now, I mean, same thing with Troy Terry, right? Was it that he didn't have any confidence last year or that Dallas Akins just didn't know how to use him? Anyway, so with but with Max Contois, though, this year in particular – Although I don't think the Ducks handled him correctly at the end of the year by just constantly scratching him, he did not have a good season. And it wasn't just a matter of, well, the, the team just doesn't, you know, doesn't get it. Um, and so maybe this does give him that opportunity to, to bounce back. Outside of that, though, I mean, you've got Lucas Dostal going there, and then you've got um, Dominic Simone, both for Czech Republic. When did they start calling them Czechia? Like, I know like, that's been a thing. The last, but within what, the last five, six years. Yeah, that's that's an interesting shift. I, I I once saw like a reasoning of it, and it has to do with the fact that it's like you don't you don't call things republic or something since, like that. Since when? I I forgot what it was. It, it was something along those lines, and so Chechia is the proper way to to. I mean, I'm fine with that. It. It's just interesting that uh, that uh, that's that's what we're doing now. But hey, whatever. Are we in you the know? geography portion of this show? One other thing I wanted to talk about. Because you and I spent thirty dollars on this, so I think we have to talk about it. <laughs> AHL TV. Oh, we spent yeah. thirty bucks to watch Olin Zellweger uh, get play, jerked around. Play, play six minutes. Yeah, yeah. So I want to touch on this briefly, though. We 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 did watch Olin Zellweger make his pro debut for the San Diego Goals. Yep. And I thought he looked great. I mean, yep. you know, it clearly was still in his first game. Clearly, there's a lot of room to grow there, but look comfortable with the puck on his stick. Got a point late in the game. Was able to create offense with the zone entry. Had some good breakouts. I, I thought he looked comfortable. Yeah, it's funny when you watch AHL games because, especially when when the <laughs> there's a lot are, of reasons why that statement is true. But continue uh, when you're watching the play the NHL playoffs and then you jump down to an AHL playoff game, you're reminded about just the quality difference. There's levels but, to this. Yeah, and just the simple pass can't be made by a lot of these guys. Yeah. Um, in comparison to the especially, NHL level, especially the goals blue line. Yeah. Yeah. But getting back to kind of where I was going with that is that, um, Olin Zellweger, I, I think you can really tell when a player is a special type of talent in the AHL because they may not end up generating a whole lot. And you can somewhat pinpoint that on just the teammates, not thinking the game at the same level as them. Yeah. And I think that that was something I saw a couple times from Zellweger. And while it's just a couple moments, there was one rush in specific where he's coming up the ice and he dishes the puck off. And he, it's I think it was going to be a two-on-one or I can't remember. But basically, he's in the neutral zone, doesn't have the puck. And he's clearly has so much space in front of him and is making a fantastic drive through the neutral zone in transition. And the player who was on the goals just couldn't recognize that he had that space and never fed him the puck, and then the puck just kind of died on that guy's stick. And mm -hmm. it's those little things that it's just like that recognition to understand that he was able, he has the space to jump up in the play. And if he would have got the puck in transition, he would have been able to get in on the, get into the zone clean and set up a chance. And it's those little things that, while 
nothing really happened. It's kind of a nothing play, to be honest, because the puck just ends up turnover, turning over in the neutral zone. But it's that recognition to jump up in the play right there that's made Olin Zellweger such an exciting player. Yeah. And such an exciting prospect. And so the fact that he's able to do that, and the only thing that really felt like was holding him back in this game outside of coaching, kind of babying him, was the fact that his teammates just weren't thinking the game at the same level as him. And that's yeah. going to happen in the AHL. I mean, I think it really needs to be called out that they, I mean, Pat Verbeek brought this guy into play. I don't know what the expectation was, what the conversation was between player and and team, but Joel Bouchard basically chose to play the to, to have the goals play with five defensemen for most of that game. He didn't play it, on the power play either, which is didn't play him on the power play. Gave him like two shifts in the first period, barely more than two in the, in the in the second. We don't have great data for the AHL, so these numbers aren't precise. But it was just strange, very strange. I mean, you have this guy who clearly can do something that I'll, none of your other defensemen can do which is break the puck out with, with his feet and with his mind just at a high level and just really didn't use him. And I understand, okay, if you want to play devil's advocate that it's game one of the playoffs, this guy hasn't played a single game in the AHL yet, maybe you want to be cautious. But at the end of the day, it's a development league, and these guys got to play to develop. And it's a, I, it's a best of three also. Who if cares? I was, if I was Pat Verbeek, I would be pissed about – how Bouchard handled him. And then he didn't yeah. even play in game two. So outside of Zellweger though, who I did think look, he looked really good, you know, regardless of all that um, outside of him, I, I thought Drew Hellison looked okay. Yeah. Wasn't really wowed by him. I think specifically his play without the puck wasn't great in that game that I did watch game one. Lucas Dostal had a rough time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought Jacob Rowe looked good. Um, but outside of that, I mean, nothing else really, really popping off the page though. Yep, nothing really for me either. Uh, so yeah, the goals were eliminated though. We should yeah. probably mention that they got shellacked. I mean, yeah. they weren't. They did not look good. They no. They looked very poorly coached. I mean, yeah. they had they had just had like no structure to yeah. their game. So and maybe we see a, a clearing of house from uh, Pat Verbeek after that. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. But um, all right, want to jump into questions? Sure. So we're gonna start with uh, Twitter. I can't remember if I actually remember to ask this one last time or not. It was in my DMs from Sean Seabolt. May have been that, but, you know, we'll do it again. Why not? Which one of the players traded at the deadline has played the best since leaving the Ducks? So, by process of elimination, I'm just going to say Josh Manson because Lindholm and Raquel are hurt. Yeah, that's 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 a good call. Yeah. All right. And then we got this one from Logan Maxwell over the weekend. I believe he is Australian. Um, so, he had 3-1 Kings. Holy there you go. Uh, he said, uh, question for the pod. Have only been following the Ducks for a couple of seasons, and since they haven't made the playoffs in any of them, I haven't bothered to watch playoff hockey. This season, though, I've been watching every game of the playoffs. You and should. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm watching a different league. Fair dinkum. Uh, I I hope that's an Australian phrase that isn't uh, offensive in any, wall, in any way. Uh, the intensity is insane, and these boys aren't taking the piss. Uh, the checking is on another level, and players are spitting the, spitting the dummy and having a whinge at each other left, right, and center. Basically, my question is, why the bloody hell don't they play like this through the regular season? If they did, would coaches be telling them to pull their heads in? Because I'm not playing, complaining playing, at all. I'm, yeah. Oh, go play, ahead. Playing like this is really, really hard and tiring. Yeah. And you can't do it. Like, watch more of the playoffs and just check the injury reports uh, when it's all said and done after the Stanley Cup final is over. Yeah. Uh, these guys are playing through all sorts of pain, all sorts of injuries, and it's just not something you can sustain for 82 games. It sucks because when hockey is played in this manner, you know, at 100%, 110%, it, there's no sport to me that's more entertaining yeah. that, that I've seen. Well, it's also and, just it, it, deadlines make people play in a different way. Yeah, and, and so it, it just sucks that we don't get anything close to this for most of the regular season. Now, of course, watching the, the Anaheim Ducks the last two years, you definitely don't. But I do wish there was a way. I mean, I'm in favor of reducing the number of games in the regular season because uh, I think that that's what the, the guys need is rest. They need less games to, to have to play to, you, to, to show you something like this. Like, you want I my go, solution? Well, I go. Hold on, I go back to this all the time. The reason the NFL is so entertaining is because every single game feels like it matters. Yeah. Okay. You want my? Conti you want my continue. solution? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
make the president's trophy that I uh, no weighted more. No, you didn't even let me finish. I know. Okay, continue. You weight the president's trophy more, and you make it on an equal level in terms of just how people view it, and let everyone into a knockout round playoff. No, no. Next. Okay, fine. That was, I, I don't like, love. That. I like the Stanley Cup playoffs. I like, do too. I like. I like, I like throwing, everything about it. I'm just throwing stuff out there to be like, yeah, let's see. How this I works. wish that it didn't. That one kinda, probably isn't my best though. I'll I wish it that. didn't. I wish it didn't devalue the regular season though, which I think is what you're getting at. I wish that we gave more respect to the regular season champ. Because but, I think if that happened, then you would see these types of but, games happen more. But the reason why we don't give it that much res- as much respect is because the regular season can be really boring, long, and tedious. It sure. doesn't feel that like a big deal to, to finish first for, for, for whatever reason. And so less games... I mean, to you, like, okay, if, the, if hockey teams played one game a week, like the NFL does, do you think that that would, that would work? No. Like just from an entertainment perspective, like, or is like let's say two games a week better? Like the I think three, two games a week. I think three to four games is just crazy. Yeah, okay. I think two games would make sense. Yeah. All right, here we go. This one from William Lewis. Uh, not asking you to get into this draft class, but presumably Verbeek goes best available for the first rounders. What do you think he's valuing? Speed, shot, creativity, or shutters, size, and grit? When he makes that judgment, if uh, Team Me comes into the formula, what is he shooting for? Uh, well, according to Corey Pronman, it, it would appear to be about size, which yeah. uh, we would dispute. I mean, he did talk about you know the importance of physical strength. He did talk about the fact that that's a key component for any playoff team. And so I, I could see him really valuing that. But I still really think that Martin Madden is a key player here. And I think that we should definitely be be remembering how he has drafted over the last few years. And I don't think it'll change that much. I think the Ducks are going to go for a guy who's going to be highly skilled, who can help the team in the near future, and maybe the, the, the physical maturity will play a bigger role. But I think you're going to see another great Martin Madden pick. Yep. All right. Now we're going to get into our Discord. So our Patreon Discord for anyone, go to patreon.com slash crash spawn. If you pay a dollar, you get access to Discord. If you do more than that, you still get access to Discord and some other stuff that we'll go over later. JJ Stoned Drums says, do you think Rubik will use any uh, any of his many picks to move up in the draft? It's possible, but I think in this draft, I don't really see it just because like we were talking about in the top of the show, it's just so wide open. Yeah. Just let someone fall to you. Yep. Uh, Olaf is berserker said thoughts on gold drafting. I'm not quite sure what he's talking about, but maybe he's talking about the, the gold idea for drafting, which is that, uh, essentially the team that has accumulated the most points after being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs drafts oh. first overall. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to think I mean, about that. I don't, I don't love it. The main reason for that is that the whole thought process behind the draft is to help bad teams get better and so while yes theoretically you're giving these bad teams more opportunities to get points and it's i don't think that it's necessarily the best way to go about it because i mean the way that you if you have ufas and you move them out you're going to be worse after that Mm -hmm. and so then do team i mean maybe that's the thing then do teams hold on to them probably not they shouldn't they should get whatever they can I, i just don't like the concept of that overall i think it's an interesting idea yeah, I mean, personally, I say just if you're gonna do a draft, eliminate the lottery. Yeah, like yeah. the 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 concept of a draft is when you think about just the overall concept, it's to make bad teams better, yeah, to give them the best players. And so, why do you have a well, lottery that's counter well, to that? Well, but the idea of the lottery is so that teams aren't intentionally being bad, knowing that they're guaranteed a better pick, a great pick, but based on where they finish in the standings. I mean, if you're the worst team in the league, you're still guaranteed third third overall. Yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't, I'm, it, like, I'm, it not, doesn't I'm not, make a huge I'm difference. not saying I disagree with you. Just, like, it's just thinking about the thought process of it. Draft is to make bad teams better. Why are we then making them fall a little bit as a result? Just give them. By the way, uh, Minnesota Wild on the verge of elimination. And, no, it's two uh, two. Or is it? I thought it was three two. No, it's two two. Blues won tonight. Well, now, oh, sorry, is the game over? Yeah. No, it's not. It's going on. Okay, my did I just get duped? 
It's four to two right now, though. And four to two. Oh, it's, oh it's, okay. Sorry. So they're they're likely gonna correct. Okay. Sorry. Likely gonna be ahead three two. Will you um, give me my flowers? Speaking of flowers, Mark Andre Fleury on that fourth goal, just standing still as uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. As Mark Andre Fleury is uh, want to do at times. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is intriguing. Intriguing who, to think who, about. Who picked the Blues to win this series and got a lot of crap about it? I mean, I still think that my Wild can pull through. They they can, but yeah. who got a lot of crap for saying the Blues are going to be in the series and it's going to be tight? I don't know who. Who? who tell me. I, who. Wonder, I wonder who also said that uh, the Capitals wouldn't <laughs> win a game. Hey, I got one of my sweeps right. That's all that matters. Yeah, that's the one that the Avs should have won in three. <laughs> Look, you know, credits credit to the Capitals, uh, but the Panthers winning last night was pretty huge. Yeah, so. definitely. A Taco Pie asks, "How good is the TNT crew? They've been really fun." You know, I haven't watched that many of their intermissions during the playoffs, so I okay. can't say for sure right now. But the, my thing with TNT though is it's a tale of two cities. It's it's two sides to a coin, which is I think that their in game can be really hit or miss particularly when it's kind of like the NBCSN crew. So I think that it's funny because I was, I think it's so sorry, I guess on the T on the broadcast side, you're probably right in terms of game broadcast. Yeah. I think that a taco pie is more so saying the intermission. Yeah. 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 No, that's what I'm saying is that it's a tale of two cities in that. I think that the in game is really hit or miss, but I think that the intermissions have been fun, like almost, Every single time. Yeah. And I think that's more so what people are talking about. And it's funny because it's the same crew for uh, or a similar crew with Liam McHugh, same yeah. guy that did it for a long time. You've got Anson Carter there. Um, it, it's pretty similar. But then you just kind of add in uh, Biz. You add in. Well, uh, there, there's think, some pretty massive changes. There. True. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. And, and I think Wayne Gretzky has been really good also. Yeah, I did Rick, not expect him. Rick Tockett. Yeah. Also been good. He's he's getting better. I think yeah. that they, they they went through this phase during the season where they were trying really hard to be like the fun broadcast, and it was almost cringy. And now they're finding a little bit of a balance of like serious versus fun. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's been good. I mean, yeah. the only thing with Gretzky is I'd like to see him be more unleashed because you can just tell half the time everything is like a little bit of column A, column B. Yeah, and I know that he can't fully speak his mind because. People just hang on to every word he says, but I, I would like to see him be more unleashed a little. Well, bit. Well, the one thing that I found interesting is I feel like they're but he is inter- good though. This isn't taking away from him. And I think that whoever they've been having doing interviews also does a really good job. What whichever series, whichever game it is, yeah. and I actually also think ESPN with Emily Kaplan has been doing a really good job with that also. And I think that there was TBS. one. What tbs has also been good but i think well, T- that that, just, that's, that's just the tnt, TNT. that's yeah. the same t- and there was one interview that happened i think with ian cole specifically where it was on the bench and they whoever it was that was between the benches did the interview with him and i can't remember what the brought it was tnt or espn but it was just like a really kind of well thought out interview with ian cole giving really good answers also which is i guess a really important part of it but it was one of the most interesting in uh intermission interviews i've seen of a player yeah, just yeah, just they, the, the answers that were given, the questions that were asked, and it was just really good. Yeah, I think the broadcasts in the playoffs have been such a breath of fresh air. It's just been the so much staggered fun. starts have been so good. Yeah, the, the fact that it's so easily easy to find on ESPN and ESPN two or TBS and TNT, like it's not a struggle like figuring out if it's on USA or oh, NBC God. Golf ESA. Channel. Yeah, <laughs> Bravo. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah. Um, all right, Marty asked, "Do we see Zegers and Co. playing this time of year next year? Uh, do they make the playoffs? I'm bold take here. Yes. Oh, look, Evander Kane sucker punched someone. That's God, great. He's the worst. Why is he in the NHL? It hurts um, whenever someone tries to give him credit, and it's just like Please. it's just like we don't have to do this. Yeah, like we we just don't have to do this. Um, <sighs> will he be in the playoffs next year? I'm gonna say no. I'm going yes. I think they'll be in the hunt though." All right. Olaf is Berserker asks, uh, based on what we've heard of from him so far, if you had to create a profile for a type of player you expect Verbeek to take in the draft as uh, option, or the first part, oh, and the sorry. second part is... It, it wasn't it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Kane. Cassian 
just completely cross-checked Dursey also, in the back. Also a trash player. Yeah. Uh, uh, so basically, if you had to pro- pick a create a profile for a type player that Verbeek would take in the draft for part one and part two is target and free agency or trader over the summer, what are those players? So who are we targeting in the offseason? That's the question. In the draft and then in the in free agency or the yeah the off season. Yeah. So who's uh who's sticking out for you when it comes to the draft right now at tenth? Brad Lambert. Uh, by the way, I may throw on the Angels game on my thing because I've just been made aware of something happening. Oh. I'll let you keep going though. I'm. What I'm is ha- what what is happening? We can't say. What? We can't say. <laughs> why can't why can't this be said? Um. Okay. So in the draft at tenth overall. Um. I mean, if so, is it pronounced Nazar or Nazar? I for Frank. Do not know. Frank N. If Frank N. from the United States <laughs> is available at ten, he's a guy I'd be really curious about just because of his first off, just the fact that he skates so well, um, his hand-eye coordination, just everything there. That's the kind of player that I think the Ducks could really benefit from having. And then yeah. I've I've said it all along. I'll keep saying it though. I think Kevin Fiala, I just, I don't know if there's a way for the Ducks to get him. Maybe the Wild losing this series would help that. Um, but, I mean, just really try to hit a home run. I know that I know that Pavarbi kind of wants to just build out the depth of his roster, which they need to do, but try to hit a home run. Yep, exactly. Um, looks like there is a position player pitching for the Rays right now, and it is 12 to nothing Angels. Oh, good. <laughs> Wait, who is the guy that did that for the... Uh... For the Angels? <laughs> no, he did it for the, the Twins against the Angels. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, William Acedillo. <laughs> was that on the Patreon episode where I brought that up yeah. and you started looking that up? Yeah. That was, that was great. That was oh, great. That was so good. Not Philip Forsberg. It's being asked in the chat. No. No. That's the exact kind of contract they need to avoid. All right. So for those of you in Twitch, please throw any questions that you've got into the Twitch chat. Uh, but uh, I should do this first. Go to YouTube. Find us on youtube.com slash correspondent. If you're watching us there, you can join us live each and every Monday. Uh, typically, although this week we're on Tuesday, but typically Mondays at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash correspondent where you can help support the show. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. Um, it does help support this show more than you can imagine. Um, you know, this isn't a question that was asked as a question, but I'm just going to put it out there. Do you think it pisses people off that the Kings are in the playoffs and the Ducks aren't? Uh, who are who's the people we're referring to? Ducks fans, our, our listeners. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I I would be pissed too. But that being said, I think that the the Kings give you a little bit of a blueprint though of how the Ducks are going to get back there because they built up their roster through the draft. Then last summer, right? They they did the moves to kind of get them back into that hunt. They, they got Arvidsson, they got Dano, and now they're back to a baseline, right? And a lot of it is contingent on the play of their older guys, which will eventually fade. But the idea is that their younger players will catch up at that point. The Ducks don't quite fit that mold, but it's the same kind of blueprint, though, that they're following. Yeah. So so looking at the Kings should give you some optimism if you're the, if you're a Ducks fan. Yep. Uh, so it actually looks like the Twitch tra- chat is kind of quiet. And part of that is because of this Angels game and the nothing that's happening at all. Nothing nothing at all besides it being 12-0. Um, and so I'm going to let you uh, steer the ship to the finish line as I watch this part of it. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this was a fun show this week. And hopefully everyone is having a fun off season. Hopefully everyone is enjoying uh, the NHL playoffs. As you can tell, we are. It's kind of hard to, to keep your eyes off it. Oh, wait. Honest. We actually do have one question, so I'll bring this to you. How do you, this came from Sith Lord Buscemi? Uh, or crap, we had two of them and I missed them. My bad. Sith Lord Buscemi said, "How do you guys feel about taking and or trading for players with illness slash health concerns, i.e., Rodion Amirov and Ivan Miroshnichenko?" Yeah, I mean, if the price is right, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think it just depends. I think the teams tra- wouldn't want to trade him in those health conditions, though. They want to yeah. have stability for him. Yeah. Um, and B. Dottle S. said, "Question: Hypothetical, you're the GM of the Ducks, and Leon Drysaddle gets put on the block, put on the block after a first round exit. What do you offer to get him, and would you?" Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, do you do you even think about it? You uh, you Ducks? kick you kick the tires at least, but it's probably going to be Zegers, Drysdale, yeah, McTavish. It's going to set the Ducks back to do that. Um, yeah, it's going to set them up for mediocrity. So I just wouldn't do it at all. No. Yeah, sorry. 
Yep, exactly. All right, now you can steer the ship to the finish line. Yep, so if you've been enjoying our show, there's a few ways uh, to support us. The number one way is through our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Over there, you can pay a dollar a month, pledge a dollar a month, and you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. It's a ton of fun. You get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans, talk about breaking news, talk about the NHL playoffs. I think right now is a great time to join, actually. But we have other channels. For example, all of our bad food takes. We've got a food channel there. Although, my takes are good. Should should be very clear about that. Uh, my takes are great, infallible. Um, that's for $1 a month. If you... If you uh, bump that up to $5 a month, though. You get access to two bonus episodes. So we did one earlier in the month doing our preview, our predictions for each first-round series. Uh, we're going to keep that one going uh, over the next few weeks as each round gets wrapped up. That's for $5 a month. And you can also pledge $15 a month as uh, extra level of support. And that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. If you do so, well, first off, it's going to help out the show quite a bit. It's totally free to you. It takes maybe 30 seconds to do. And if you leave a review, we'll read it on the show. Um, you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. Jake's already said it, but find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe to us there. Turn on the notifications so that you know when we are posting. And check out our website, crashthepond.com. You can go to crashthepond.com slash shop. Uh, we've got t-shirts with our awesome logo. We've got coffee mugs, we've got stickers, we've got it all, hoodies even, and that's all at crashthepond.com slash shop. At crashthepond is on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at reindeergames91, and I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That's going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.